All right. Well, let's grab our Bibles and let's get them out this morning. And if you would stand to your feet, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Once you've found that, uh, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And uh, this morning, for those of you that don't know, uh, we uh, have launched a number of brand new things starting today. Uh, at 8.15, we have our morning service, and uh, that's up in the fellowship hall. That's the first service, very similar to uh, what just transpired with the singing and all that. And uh, they, they met up there, had a little bit of an abbreviated service just because of time constraints and things. And uh, so we worshiped the Lord then, and then uh, we had life groups. And now, right now, uh, we're, we're assembled here. Uh, at the 10.30 hour, and there's a Spanish ministry that has just launched uh, full-blown, uh, and appreciate Brother John Ordonez. He is uh, heading up our Spanish ministry, and we have a good number of folks upstairs right now that uh, are speaking Spanish in the whole service. Everything that's going to be preached today will be preached in Spanish as well. And so if you came here today and uh, you do speak Spanish, uh, you can understand a little bit of what I'm saying, but, uh, but uh, if you primarily speak Spanish, we invite you to head on up to the fellowship hall at this time and uh, you can partake in the service in Spanish. That's where Pastor is this morning, uh, celebrating with this uh, new launch of the new ministry. And so you're stuck with me today, all right? And uh, so uh, give me just a moment. I've got to catch my breath after all the singing and just turn around and, and, uh, and start preaching. So I appreciate you being here. And uh, let's look at our Bibles at uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse number uh, 43. And we'll read uh, responsibly down to uh, verse number 48. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 43 says this, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemy, bless them that curse you, Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if we love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the, the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Well, many of you know that we've been going through a series entitled, The Commands of Christ. And today we're going to look at a command that Jesus Christ gives in verse number 48. And he says this, Be ye perfect. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for today. Thank you for this service. Thank you for everybody here. And Father, over these next few moments, I pray that we will uh, understand what you have for us. And uh, may we leave here changed. Father, I pray that over these next few moments, you'll give me the right words to say. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you will uh, meet with us today. And uh, I just uh, pray that you guide my lips, help me to say only things you have me to say, and uh, withhold anything you would not have me to say. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we've gone through this series of the commands of Christ, we see some commands that are easily attainable. We see some goals, some commands that God gives us that uh, seem pretty straightforward and it seems like we can follow that. I think we can do that. 
Uh, but we come to this passage of Scripture this morning in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 48. And it, he says this, he says, Be ye perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that at first glance and I think to myself, that's impossible. I can't do that. And you're right, as we're going to find today, it is impossible for us to do that. However, sometimes the reason that we have issues uh, with understanding these truths is sometimes we're not uh, diving into them and sometimes we, we overcomplicate what, what Jesus is truly saying. But as we dive into this passage of Scripture, we look at the beginning verses of, of um uh, Matthew 5, in the text that we read in verse number 43, we find here uh, Jesus is teaching His disciples and He's trying to, to help them lay out how they are to behave around certain folk. And, and as we dive into this this morning, we see uh, that we need to get some context in this. And He asks them a couple questions and He talks about uh, in verse number 43, that thou shalt love, uh, thou shalt, um, uh, He says, uh, that ye have heard of it, as it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Right? It's easy to do that. It's easy for us to love somebody that loves us. And it's easy for us to hate somebody that hates us. But then he brings up here, But I say unto you, love your enemies and bless them that curse you. That's a hard task. You have somebody at work that, uh, that curses you out. Jesus is saying, you've got to love them. I don't know about you, but I, I fall short of that. Right? Somebody, Brother Joe, he's not here, he's not here this morning, but, right? Brother Joe gets mad or something like that, right? You have, you have a coworker that get mad at you. Hey, uh, hey, I, 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 I just want to get in the flesh. I want to, I want to get all angry. I want to, I want to retaliate. Nope. We got to love them. What else does he say here? He says, not only love them, uh, that, that curse you, but, but do good to them that hate you and pray for them to despitefully use you and persecute you. You hear somebody that has a, an agenda to try to tear you down or smear your name to the boss or, or whatever, and all of a sudden you, you want to get even. You want to find the dirt on them. You want to give them uh, what they have uh, given you. And, and so Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to follow this command, you need to love your enemies. Uh, how do you walk around uh, uh, blessing someone who is cursing you? How do you do good to someone who actively hates you? How do you pray for somebody who is out to hurt you? How do you love someone who will never love you when you learn how to do these things, you have learned what it means to be perfect. By the end of this message today, my prayer is that each of you will have a better idea of what it means to be perfect. And this morning, as we look at being perfect, it's not necessarily this standard of absolute perfection as the word may seem, but we're going to boil it down and see that there is a practical aspect to this. The purpose of this message, in order to obey this command of Christ, we will have to submit to the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit's role in our life, in the life of the believer, is to guide you into maturity and completion. Maturity and completion. As you submit to the Spirit's leading, you will realize what it means to be perfect. So as we dive into this and we get a little bit deeper into what this command means, let's look at three thoughts this morning as we consider this command of Christ of being perfect. The first, the first point I want to uh, make across to us is the standard 
proclaimed. The standard proclaimed. We see that the Bible says, be ye perfect. This is not the only time in the Bible where we find this word perfect. In fact, if you look, uh, you don't need to turn there, but in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse number 13, Moses challenges the nation of Israel and says, Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. But not only do we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, my brethren, uh, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Paul also encourages the churches. He encourages Timothy uh, in 2 Timothy 3.17 that, uh, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I read that passage of Scripture and talking about preachers, uh, the man of God, uh, not only preachers but Christians in general, uh, need to be perfect. Jesus commands all His disciples in in verse number 48 of our text, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. What does that mean? Is God uh, requiring a standard of us that is impossible to achieve? Would God give us something that is impossible to achieve? Well, perhaps... Perhaps He might, but whenever He gives us something that we ourselves cannot do, uh, He always gives us some kind of resource or tool, and that's what we're going to look at today. As we look at this word perfect, this is a very complex word, and I'll kind of take just a step back to pause, kind of what's going on behind the, 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 uh, the, the curtain here. Uh, pastor is preaching this very same message right now with our Spanish, and and so uh, each week he's he's given me uh, uh, this, or the weeks that he'll be up with the Spanish, not going to be every week, but uh, just every so often he's going to be up there, and and so uh, he's given me his notes, and so if you don't like the notes, uh, I'm sorry, okay, uh, I, I don't uh, I didn't make these, okay, I'm just going off of uh, his notes here, and uh, very very thorough. Uh, but uh, we were talking, and I picked him up from the airport last night as he was coming in uh, from Indiana from the funeral. And, uh, and I was talking to him, and he said, wow, this is the first time we're doing this, and I have given you such a complex subject, being perfect. And even this morning while he was teaching at the 8.15, he just prayed, God, give me the wisdom, give me the right words. And I stand up before you today and I hope that I can be as clear and as concise as I possibly can. But as we look at this word perfect, sometimes there are words in the Bible that we can oversimplify. There are words that when we first read them, we just take our common everyday usage of the word today and we plug it into uh, old, uh, old English here. And so there's certain words that we need to dive a little bit deeper into. One of those words would be the word weak. Anytime you see the word week, W-E-E-K, you and I typically think of a week of days, right? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We think of Weeks, uh, we think of days of the week. But the word week in the Bible can be a set of anything of seven. Okay? So weeks can be, uh, seconds. You have seven seconds is a week of seconds. You can have seven minutes is a week of minutes. Seven hours is a week of hours. Seven years is a week of years. Uh, if you read Daniel chapter nine, he talks about a set of sevens, a set of weeks. And so uh, you can find that there. And if you don't understand these words, it's hard for us to grasp what God is trying to tell us. 
The word perfect has more than just one definition as we generally think of. There are phrases uh, to being, there are phases rather to being perfect. So let's see how this plays out in Scripture. The first phase I want us to see this morning in regards to perfection is be mature. Be mature. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And I believe we already referenced this uh, already this morning, but I want us to see that the word perfect means to be mature. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 11. I still hear some pages. I'll give you just a few more moments to find that. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. To be perfect here means to act in a way that is mature. You are mature in your emotions. As it says, uh, you are of good comfort. You are mature in, uh, you, uh, mature mentally. You are collectively uh, of one mind. You are mature spiritually. The God of love and peace be with you. See how uh, Paul is saying, be perfect, but here's how I want you to be mature. Be mature, but here's how I want you to be mature. Be mature in your, in your, uh, your, your thoughts, in your emotions, and spiritually. Uh, maturity simply means you are in the correct stage of development in the journey with the Lord. Uh, my my daughter Danielle, she uh, just turned one this past January, and and uh, and so uh, we uh, we love having her around. But one of the things I don't like about having a a child is that every so often you have to go to the doctors, right? They have to have checkups, and they gotta uh, they gotta give her the shots, right? She gets the shots, and she cries and cries. And boy, it just hurts my heart to see little Danielle uh, suffer with, with the pain of having shots. But one thing that's very important about Danielle going to, get, uh, going to the doctors every so often to get a checkup is when you go there, they ask several questions as to how she is maturing. Now, the very first time she walked in the doctor's office, they didn't ask, is she driving yet? They didn't ask, is she talking? She's only three months. No, and instead what they ask is they ask simple questions like, uh, is she eating well? What is she eating? Is she crawling as she reaches her 9 to 12 month, month stage? And now they're looking, is she walking? And everybody's anticipating. Mom and dad anticipating, when is she going to walk? Grandparents constantly texting, is she walking on her own? Right? That is a level of maturity for Danielle. It would be unfair to look at uh, Danielle and say, hey, uh, one-year-old baby, you need to get a job. You need to be uh, writing full books. You need to uh, be doing all this stuff. No, there are certain gauges that... That, uh, that show her maturity as she gets older. And so they ask simple questions. Again, is she crawling? Is, is she eating well? These are all things uh, that we need to understand. It doesn't mean that uh, Danielle uh, isn't perfect if she isn't talking yet. Right? She's just advancing little bit by little bit. 
And so it is in the life of a believer that each of us should have mile markers that gauge our maturity. It would be unfair to ask somebody who is newly saved, who newly came to know Christ, their personal Lord and Savior, to stand up in the front of the auditorium and say, uh, preach a full message. Why? Because they don't understand all of these concepts. But as they begin to mature, as a, a one-year-old babe in Christ, uh, you, you begin to ask them, hey, are you reading your Bible on a daily basis? Are you praying daily? Are you doing your daily devotions? Are you getting in some of these little exercises that are going to help you so that then later you can grow and, and hey, are you attending church faithfully? Not only are you in church faithfully, but are you serving in the church that you attend? Are you accomplishing God's work? Are you teaching a Sunday school class? Are you leading your family? All of these things are little steps, ultimately, towards maturity. Somebody who's been saved 10, 20, 30 years will be a little bit mature spiritually, and rightfully so. They should have a higher expectation for them than somebody who has been one or, or, or two years saved. And so, there is phases, there is a maturity that must be developed. Go to, go to Job chapter 1 with me. Job chapter 1. We're going to look at verse number 8. Many of you know the story of Job. And Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And uh, we find a conversation that takes place with, uh, with God and Satan. And, uh, and, and Satan goes into heaven and he's having this conversation with, with God. And he says, hey, uh, have you considered my servant Job? Look at me at Job chapter 1, verse number 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in all the earth, a perfect... An upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Job, was Job sinless? No, that's not what the Bible is saying. No, in fact, God knew that Job had a job of growing. Uh, uh, he had, he, uh, rather, let me, let me read it this way. In, in fact, God knew that Job had a job, uh, or had a, he, he had to grow up in his spirituality. As a result, uh, Satan's assault on Job's life would help to perfect him, would help him to mature. And we understand the story that, uh, that in one day, Satan would go down and he would remove everything from Job's life. Job was a wealthy man. He had cattle. He had a family. He had a beautiful home. He had servants. He had all this wealth, all this success. And in one foul swoop, it all came crashing down on him. Why did God allow that to happen? Because there was still a work that needed to be done in the life of Job. Job still needed to be matured as he grew and as he uh, fellowship with the Lord. And so uh, that, that, uh, that working between Satan and God was to accomplish a work of maturity. But then not only do we see phase one, which is maturing, but number two, uh, be complete. Be complete. Be mature. Be complete. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 28 says, Whom we preach, warn every man and teach every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. 
The purpose of preaching is to help people like me and you grow in the Lord so that when we stand before Jesus at the judgment seat, that we will be complete or perfect in Christ. Uh, Look with me at James chapter 2. James chapter 2, and we have a, a number of scriptures here. James chapter 2, verse number 22. And there are many facets to the Christian life. Right? There are things we need to be growing in. There's things we need to be maturing in. But there's different things that need to kind of plug into the life of the believer and be a part of who we are. One of the elements that all of us should have is an element of faith. The Bible says that when we get saved, for uh, by grace are ye saved through faith. Now that's a, a baby, a childlike faith as the Bible records. Faith should be an element in the life of a believer. We find here in Job chapter 2 verse number 22, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Perfect. That means complete. So when faith steps in on the life of the believer, when faith becomes an element of a Christian, that helps them be more complete. It's kind of a puzzle piece, so to speak. And that's one piece that needs to be in the life of the believer. There's other things. Uh, I was just reading, uh, as I was studying this passage of Scripture and and last night praying and and seeking God's face, I I turned to uh, a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians. I believe it's uh, 9, verse number 25. And says that uh, a man that striveth for masteries must be temperate in all things. In all things. So as we serve God, as we follow God, as we do His work here on this earth, we are commanded that we need to be temperate or under control, in control, discipline in all things. What does that mean? Well, we evaluate our lives and there's many different compartments to it. Right? We have our family. We have our morals. We have our finances. We have our friends. We have our job. We have our time management. Right? All these different things. Some of us have done a really great job at being moral humans. We're good morally, but we're not so good in our finances. And so we're temperate in our morality, but we're bad in our finances. Or maybe this, we're good at our finances, but we're bad with our friends. Or we're good with our friends and we're disciplined with the friends that we have, but we're bad in our marital relationship. And you fill it in, there's a lot of different things that God is still working in and through us, but they have to be, they have to be parts of us that, in order for us to be complete. Someone who has been fervently uh, running a spiritual race for years uh, is going to be much further down the track when someone uh, who just started, or someone who has been uh, going to the gym for years and is uh, going to be stronger than someone who just started last week, Right? Getting back to being temperate in all things. Uh, there's disciplines that need to be established so that we can be well-rounded, complete Christians in Christ. I want you to imagine with me a peach. right? A peach coming from uh, a seed uh, in a branch. And it receives nutrients uh, as it grows and as it develops. right? Nobody likes to eat a hard, uh, unripe fruit. Right? You try to take a bite in it and you're like, ah, ah, ah. But 
when that peach develops and you pull it off the vine, and it is, can I say this, complete, you take that bite of that, that wonderful peach and the, the juices just kind of explode in your face, right? And, and it's, a, it's a joyful thing. And so the life of the believer should be like this, where new babes in Christ, but little bit by little bit, God, from His Word, gives us the nutrients we need so that we develop to be the complete Christian, the fully developed fruit God has for us. And so we need to be mature. We need to have stages in which we continually get a little bit better and we develop disciplines. And as we develop disciplines, there's a completion that takes place. There is a a fruit-bearing process to it. But not only uh, then do we see the fruit that needs to be uh, complete, but but we we next see here that, that, that we need to be sinless. We need to be sinless. So we see there's three phases here. Be mature, be complete, and be sinless. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 13. As you're turning there, there are a number of Christians who falsely believe that they can attain a level of perfection on earth. That they can be completely sinless here on earth. My friend, that's simply not true. For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The moment Adam and Eve took from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they disobeyed God's law, all mankind received something called a sin nature. Sin is who we are. We do it. You don't need to train a child how to sin, right? They naturally know how to disobey. And so you and I, sometimes we do make choices uh, to, to sin. Sometimes it just happens. But nonetheless, we all have a sin nature. And as we look at this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 13, "...till we all come into the unity of faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." Listen, as long as we're here on this earth, not a single one of us will ever be able to completely eradicate this sin nature from us. It's part of who we are. But there will be one day when we are all in heaven and and Jesus stands before us and we see Him in His full glory and, and, and we bow and we worship Him and He clothes us with a new body and we no longer have to have this flesh that is in this sin nature. We will finally be free of sin completely. But does that mean we just sit back and wait for that day? No. There needs to be disciplines. There needs to be things that help us uh, we, uh, we are more complete so that we, uh, have, we, we may not be completely sinless, but we can sin less. You understand that? We may never be sinless, but we can sin less. And so let's look at this this evening. There are, uh, 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 when Jesus commands you and I to be perfect, He is not setting the bar at sinless, but rather at mature or complete. There was a man who uh, thought he had reached this sinless perfection. He thought, I'm perfect. I no longer sin. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse number 1, Jesus quickly shows him that he really wasn't as righteous as he professed to be. 
We talked about this last week. Pastor uh, in preaching said, uh, mentioned this passage in Matthew 19.21. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. So, sir, if you really are perfect, if you really are completely sinless, Listen, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, you don't need it, right? And then follow me. And all of a sudden we find that this man really wasn't as righteous as he said. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Uh, and so uh, th- this man told Jesus that he had kept all the commandments his whole life. But when Jesus told him to give away his wealth and to be a follower, he found out how sinful he truly was. Sometimes I get a kick out of uh, some people that have uh, some weird pets, right? They have a tiger as a pet, right? Uh, I look at somebody like that and I say, that's, that's crazy. Or I think, of, I think of somebody, I think of Steve the Crocodile Hunter, right? And he, he pretty much, he may not have said it, but he pretty much had pet alligators everywhere he went, right? Uh, he was around them, he loved them, he named them, he did all these different things. And, uh, and you know, you can, you can uh, uh, train one of these wild animals to be docile for a little bit. Right? You got these uh, magicians, you know, and they, they put their heads in, in, the, in the tiger's mouth. They can train them to be, to be still and to, to act like uh, sweet little pets for a while. But you cannot truly take the nature, the natural nature of that animal completely out of it. And we've seen many disasters happen where uh, people were just became a little bit too trusting, thought that they had completely changed the nature of this animal. And he's real sweet. He's real calm. He's real kind. Don't worry about it. And then all of a sudden, disaster. And so it is in our life that we may sin less, but do not be deceived in thinking that you are completely sinless. So we see here that uh, there are these three phases the phase of maturity. We're getting to be mature babes in Christ. We are then, uh, we are then being complete. We are like fruit that needs to develop a little bit more until finally it's right to be picked. And then there is being sinless. But as we look at this, we cannot do this in and of ourselves. Uh, there is number two, the Spirit's purpose. So the standard proclaimed the Spirit's purpose. Here's a little secret. Everybody want a little secret? Alright, here's the secret. You can't be perfect through the power of your flesh. You cannot do it, right? Uh, Nike said it, just do it, right? You can do it, whatever. Uh, You can't do it. And God resources us with something called the Holy Spirit that will guide us. And so we see in Romans chapter 7, uh, verse number 19, For I know that in me, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Now the Apostle Paul was a very spiritual man. He was mature. He was complete in many areas. Uh, he still sinned, but he was, he was one of those guys that sinned less, right? Uh, we don't find a, a whole lot of, of, of uh, instances where, where Paul sinned. Nonetheless, we do know that he sinned. Uh, but uh, he's, he's claiming right here, he's like, hey, 
for in me, in my flesh, the flesh and blood I have here, this sin nature uh, that is in my flesh, there is no good thing. When you get saved, the perfect Holy Spirit of God moves inside your heart and takes on the task of making you mature and complete. While you will not even be totally sinless, His work, uh, it, it helps us to sin less and less. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit of God is to replace sinful living with righteous living. And He does, does that by letter A, He convicts us to righteous behavior. Go to John chapter 16 if you're with me. John chapter 16. <clears throat> When you accept Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we become a temple. We become a house. We become a tent for the Holy Spirit of God to live in us. And Jesus is teaching His disciples when this Holy Spirit comes. By the way, His name is the Comforter. Holy Spirit is the Comforter. He's going to come. He's going to live inside of us. And now He's going to teach His disciples, this is what the purpose of the Spirit of God is. Not just giving you to Him so you can boast that you have the Holy Spirit. I have a purpose. I have a work that must be accomplished in your life. John chapter 16, verse number 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will, watch this now, reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Jump down to verse number 13 with me. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into, look at this, look at these two words here, all Truth. All truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit moves in, uh, in, uh, to your heart at salvation and begins to lead you away from, uh, immature sinful living and toward righteous behavior. We found in these passages of scripture, 7 through 8, and, uh, verse number 13, uh, that he will guide us into all truth. John 8, uh, verse number 32 says this, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So he convicts, he shows us, he constantly in, in our, uh, inside of us whispers and says, hey, hey, don't do that. Hey, this is, this is what's true. This is what's right. This is what's helpful. This is what God has planned for you. This is what, this is, this is what you need to be doing. And he's constantly, when we, when we submit to Him and when we follow Him and when we allow Him to, to fill us, He begins to guide us, He begins to convict us towards righteous behavior. But not only do we see He convicts us of, of righteous behavior, but He changes our emotional responses. As we began this message, we, we talked a lot about how we respond emotionally to things. Do we love people that curse us? Do we do good to those that despitefully use us? Well, in order for us to eventually get to the point where, yes, yes, I do. 
yes, I am following this command of Christ. Yeah, I am doing what God wants me to do. We need to have our emotions changed. Because I think most of us in here, probably this morning, uh, could say, no, I, I don't love people that hate me. No, I do not do good to those that despitefully use me. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Go to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to see how the Spirit of God changes our emotions. He changes our emotional responses. I know in my life there's many times where I just need to pause. And what I want to do in the moment is not what is expedient. How I want to react to what just happened to me is not what God wants me to do. And sometimes we need to be still, we need to pause, and we let the Holy Spirit of God take over so that He allows us to make the right responses here. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 18. Look with me here. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifested, which are these... Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, uh, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, um, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So, let me pause here, because we're going to keep reading. These are the works of the flesh. All the things that I just mentioned ago. Things that we would read and we would say, these are not what God intends for us to do. These are not things that are found in Scripture that are uh, uh, well for us to practice. Those are the works of the flesh. But, when we submit to the Spirit of God, look at verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, what's that first word? Love. Then joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So we have one side of the spectrum. These are the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, murdering, lasciviousness. All of those, those atrocities are on one side. But when we submit to the Spirit of God, He's going to lead us and He's going to give us something that isn't natural. It's not part of the flesh. Love. Joy. Peace. Be calm. Relax. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. I will suffer for a period of time. I will rest in God. These are things that when we fully submit to Him, they will flow through us. They will be part of who the Christian is. And so, which do you find yourself falling in? Do you allow the Holy Spirit of God to influence you? And as a result, as He influences you, these fruits are coming off of your tree? Or do you find yourself falling more on the other side? And some of us read some of these things and, and, and we blush because, well, I'm saved, but I still have some of these false fruits, some of these fruits of the flesh that are coming off my vine. 
So what we need to do is we need to rest in the Holy Spirit of God and we need to follow His direction. Some of us need to clean the palate of our heart. We need to go through and we need to make sure there isn't sin in there. We need to make sure that we're allowing the Holy Spirit of God as He's as we're His tent, right? As He's dwelling inside of us. Make sure He's got some room to work. Make sure we haven't just confined Him to a closet and locked Him in there, but that we've opened it up and we've said, Holy Spirit, search Search my, my temple. Search uh, my, my, uh, my tent and, and, and find these things and speak to me and change my emotional responses. May I love always. May I have joy always. May I have peace always. May I be... And so forth as we see the fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit of God takes away these emotional responses when people do us wrong and replace them with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. The longer I walk with God, the more mature I become in Christ. The less the flesh wins, uh, wins the day, the more mature or complete or perfect I become in how I respond when others do me wrong. So these are natural fruits of the Spirit. He changes our emotional responses, but let her see, He challenges our heart's motives. You see, the Spirit of God does not just change the exterior of our being. It's very easy for us to come to church and profess to be Christians. And I don't mean Christians like being saved. I'm saying you're walking the Christ-like life. Right? We can put on our suit. We can pull our tie up. We can have our Bible underneath our, our, our arm and, and uh, you know, say all the right things and just be polished. And, but all of that is surface. The Holy Spirit of God goes a little bit deeper. And while the outside may, per, uh, may, may be loving, and while the outside may be uh, a sense of joy and peacefulness, and you may be, long, be a little long-suffering, and you may be gentle with how you handle things, Sometimes we can do those things with a wrong motive. And the Holy Spirit of God hits us right here in the motive portion. Go, to, go with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to see here how He challenges our heart's motive. Romans chapter 8, verse number 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're living after the flesh, you cannot please God. Verse number 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Many people do the right things for the wrong motives. Can I ask you this question this morning? Why are you nice to your family members? Nice to my family members so that they'll be nice to me. Uh, how about this? Uh, is it so? Uh, uh, is it uh, so that they will be nice to you? What if uh, they stop being nice to you? 
What if they bring up politics at the dinner table? Right? What if they start, what if mom and dad starts telling you how you need to live your life? Right? How are you going to react to that? Uh, and, and so forth here. What happens when you get to that? Well, we see uh, that, uh, that the Holy Spirit of God, when He sets in us, uh, if we do what's right with wrong motives, eventually we will quit doing what's right. But the Spirit of God teaches us and challenges us to do right out of a heart of godly character and for the purpose of loving God and loving each other. You see, you can have a, a self-perception and you could say, I'm being loving, I'm, I'm, I'm being careful to make sure that I look the part. But eventually, if you're not actually being the part, if you're not actually settled on following the Spirit of God, eventually, we're going to see through the mask. And God's going to allow consequences, God's going to allow circumstances to come into our life, rather, that, that show us Oh, he's not following after the Spirit. Oh, he said that. Oh, he did this to them. Why? Because he wants us to see that there is still more work that needs to be done. And sometimes God needs to kind of shake us up and pull off the mask sometimes. Get us to the point where we see exactly who we really are. Not who we are on Sunday at 10.30. Not who we are at 5 o'clock. But who are you in the morning? Right? I mentioned, you are my friends. You are not the morning people. Okay? Uh, some of you, you just rolled out of bed just, just a couple minutes before church started. And you raced over here. Right? I identify with you. Uh, I connect with you. Right? Uh, first thing this morning. Right? Spirit of God speaking to me right now. First thing this morning. I got up. I got out of bed. I walk out my room. Every light is on in the house. Okay? You're waking up and you're blinded, okay? And then I walk out in the hallway and every, uh, every window is wide open. Now, not the windows themselves, but the blinds and curtains are pulled. And I mean, not to mention, you know, you got all this light coming from the ceiling, but then you got light coming in from, uh, from outside. And I'm just, I'm just like, why does every light have to be on in the house? Right? And I got frustrated, but I realized right then and there, hey, I would never say that in here, right? I wouldn't walk in and, and just start screaming and just start uh, getting all upset about how things are going. Uh, I know better than that when I'm in church, when I'm at home, or when I'm tired, or when I'm not being as self-perceptive of things. All of a sudden, I start to see, oh, you weren't walking in the, you weren't walking in the Spirit, you are walking after the flesh. Where do you identify today? Do you find yourself commonly uh, obeying the flesh, obeying these acts, or do you find yourself submitting to the Spirit of God? So we challenge our motives. So uh, moving to this final point, we'll be done. We see here that there's the standard proclaimed. Okay, we're, we've we've uh, uh, identified what perfection is. It's a maturity. It is a completeness. We've looked at the Spirit's purpose, that God gives us resources because we cannot overcome sin ourselves. We cannot uh, understand uh, truth uh, ourselves. So He gives us the Spirit of God that will show us these things. But then finally we see here our submission prioritized. See, God can tell us something. He can say, this is what I want you to do. 
And He can resource us and say, I'm not just telling you this, but I'm giving you a tool to get this accomplished. It is now our duty to take the command and to take the resource and to put it into practice. And this is where the rubber meets the road on this message. I have learned the hard way that it's impossible to please God through the efforts of the flesh. No matter how hard I try to overcome sin through my willpower of the flesh, it cannot be done. Maybe you uh, would say the same thing. I've tried, I've tried, I've fought, I've fought, I've fought, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, and I still can't do it. Maybe you uh, have that same thing. The flesh cannot defeat itself. Only the Spirit of God can overcome the flesh. Um, Pastor and I were talking about this uh, message last night as we were going through uh, some of the notes. And, and we talked about how uh, both of us played basketball. We both used to be on, on the team. And, and uh, I remember uh, he, he had some stories about his time. And, and I was thinking and I thought, you know, I have a very similar story to it. Um, I remember when I was playing basketball, uh, when I first started, I was not good at all, right? Uh, I was uh, I was the, the 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 chubby white kid, and I just couldn't get I just couldn't make a basket to save my life. Uh, I would shoot the ball, and it would slam off the backboard and fly all all around, and and I wasn't that good, and and uh, and so finally, I really I, I said I really want to make the team. I really want to be good at basketball. And so I spent a whole summer and I, I watched YouTube videos and I talked to my coach and I talked to other people that were really good at basketball to help teach me how to be a better basketball player. And so I submitted unto their teaching and, and became better. And the very next year I made it on the varsity team, became the captain of the team. And, and I was really excited. Things are starting to click. But then, like every, uh, like every teenager, right, you hit a point where you just think, I got this. Uh, yeah, I'm good. And, uh, and you start, you know, breaking some records or you start uh, breaking some ankles on the court, so to speak. And you're like, I am the man. And, uh, and I remember one time, uh, the coach called a play. And I felt like I was in the right position where uh, the play that should have been called was, was the play to get the ball to me. And I was playing down low, and I'm kind of wide open. And I got this guy, he's real short, and I'm, I'm a little taller, and I'm thinking got to get the ball to me and I'm going to put it in the basket. But instead, the coach gets up and he calls uh, play for the point guard to take the ball. Well, our point guard was not very good. Uh, he, uh, he kind of fumbled the ball every so often and uh, had a couple clutch plays where he just kind of threw the ball out of bounds and, and uh, he didn't really practice a whole lot. He wasn't really with the team a whole lot, uh, but he was probably one of the better ball handlers uh, of the team. And, and I remember I'm thinking, I'm seeing the coach kind of signal to him what the play was and thinking to myself, why is he calling that play? He knows the matchup right here is exactly what we need. Uh, it's, it's, all he needs to do is just give me the ball and I'm going to put it in. And so instead of submitting to what the coach wanted, I thought, I'm going to do what I want. And I got in the way of, of the play and ended up the whole play just completely fell apart. And uh, I got back and I, I was real frustrated. I got back on defense and things like that. All of a sudden, I look over to the bench and he's he's tapping one of the guys to go uh, sub in. And so finally, it's dead ball, and and uh, all of a sudden, I'm I'm getting subbed out, and I'm hustling out, and I'm like, Coach, what, what's wrong? He's like, You need to follow the play. You need to submit to the coaching, is what he was saying. 
It's the coaching that developed me to be on the court in the first place. It's the coaching that helped me to actually learn how to shoot and dribble a basketball. And guess what? It's going to be the coaching that helps us win the game. And if we don't follow the, the coach, we're not going anywhere. And so it is with the spiritual life that sometimes we think, I got this. I've matured enough in my spirituality to where I know better than my pastor. To where I know better than the Spirit of God. To where I know better than the spiritual authorities God has placed over me. And so I got this. But we must have this mindset of prioritizing the Spirit of God's work in our life and we submit to His work. Be perfect in Christ uh, is, is pretty simple. You have to submit to the Spirit of God and let Him lead you to the promised land. Lead you to uh, life eternal. Lead you to the victorious Christian life. That's easier said than done. So how do we do it? If all we have to do is submit to the Spirit of God and He's going to do the work, letter A, it requires determination. Romans chapter 7, if you would turn there, Romans 7, we're almost done with the message here. Romans chapter 7, we'll just look at a handful more uh, Scripture, but I want you to follow me in Romans chapter 7, verse number 23. says this, but I see another law in, in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bring me into captivity of the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body, uh, from the body of this death? I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The team wins when we prioritize the coach. Spiritually, we win against the flesh when we follow the Spirit. We must determine constantly that I'm going to die to my flesh, but I'm going to be alive in Christ. I'm going to die to my flesh, but I'm going to submit to the Spirit. And as we uh, follow Him, and we have this daily exercise of constantly, uh, Spirit of God, I'm going to submit to you. Spirit of God, I'm going to submit to you. Spirit of God, I'm going to submit to you. Then we begin to see progress. Many never reach maturity or even completion in the Christian life because they are too casual about the whole matter. Hey, sirrah, sirrah, whatever happens, happens. Uh, it's not an active fight against the flesh. Well, I was tempted again, and I just did it. I just said it. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, God. No, it takes active determination. You wake up, and the moment your eyes open, welcome to the battlefield. The battlefield against the world. Battlefield against the flesh. Battle against the devil. It's all there crashing on you. And you can be overwhelmed real quick. But if you say, no, no, no. I'm determined today that I'm going to rest in the Spirit of God. He's going to guide me. He's going to help me. And then it says, uh, our next point is not only uh, it requires determination, but it requires Deference. It requires deference. You're in uh, Romans chapter 7. Go with me to Romans 8. 
Romans 8, verse number 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Look at this phrase here, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. When God's Spirit is leading one direction and your flesh is pulling in the opposite direction, which will you choose? Reading your Bible versus scrolling through social media. Right? Uh, our, our phones, uh, our culture has programmed us that one of the first things we do when we open our eyes is see what's going on in the world. But what's healthy for us, what's best for us, is getting God's Word in us first and foremost. Like I said, welcome to the battlefield. Right? If you're not thinking about what Scripture has to say, the rabbit hole will take you anywhere. If you're not prepared. If you come through social media just scrolling and I'm just going to see it all, I'm going to take in everything... Listen, that's going, to be, that, that, that's going to accomplish works of the flesh. And so, we need to have deference. How about this one? Going to church versus staying home and watching TV. Right? Now, you all, everybody here today, you passed this one. Okay? Good job. All right? You're here. Okay? But it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a practice, right? And listen, Pastor Andrew, he, he works for the church here. Practically, uh, this, this past week, I've been way more at the church than, uh, than anywhere else uh, with some things going on. Uh, but listen, I'll tell you, when I woke up this morning, it was tempting. I got a little itch in my throat. <clears> throat> right? I'd rather just stay home and watch the service. Right? Uh, but hey, if, if, if you can be here, you need to be here. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves uh, together. How about this? Uh, start giving to missionaries or an unnecessary uh, technology upgrade. Right? Missions conference is coming up around the corner. We know what that means. That means we have an opportunity to give towards the furtherance of the gospel around the globe. Are we going to be quick to say, God, this is your money. You've given it to me, and I'm going to accomplish your work. Or you say, God, I have this money. It's my money, and I want to put it towards me. That's a constant exercise we need to develop. How about this? Love your enemies versus seeking vengeance on them. Turning the other cheek versus giving them a piece of your mind. In order to submit to the Spirit's perfecting, you must defer to what He wants you to do. Letter C here. Last point. It requires duration. Okay, you want another secret? Here's another secret from Pastor Andrew. Okay? We're going to leave here in just a few moments. And I hope, I trust, I truly believe this, that all of you have good intentions after hearing the service today. All of you have heard the preaching. You've heard what the Lord has to say from His Word. And I don't think anybody wants to leave here and say, I want to perform the works of the flesh. No, you leave a service today and you say, no, I want to submit to the Spirit of God. All of us have that intention. But guess what? Monday's coming. Tuesday's coming. The world, the flesh, and the devil are coming back at you. And so what you need to remember is that 
Listen, while we may have good intentions right now, and we say, yeah, I can submit to God, and you go home, and, and, and things are better, eventually you're going to have a point where, oh, I actually have to put this in practice. And then guess what? Hey, a week or two or three go by, and you forget that Pastor Andrew even preached this message. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God starts to convict you. Maybe you come across it in your reading, or, or somebody says the word perfect, and all of a sudden it triggers something in your mind. You're like, oh, I remember. I made a decision here at the altar. I made a decision in my heart uh, at church on March the 5th that I was supposed to be perfect, that I was supposed to be a complete, that I needed to be more mature in my walk with, with the Lord. Hey, listen, uh, there needs to be a long duration, a continual commitment to, to God that you are going to follow through. See, Pastor Andrew, how do you know this? How do you know this? We need to have a duration because James chapter 1, verse number 4 says this, but let patience have her perfect work. Let patience. I am not a patient person at all. Okay? Uh, I like to do things and I like to do it now. Uh, yesterday I mentioned I was picking up Pastor from the airport and, uh, and I'm driving. Okay, and I'm, I'll admit, I was driving a little fast, okay, it was late at night, and, and it was kind of rainy, and so I just wanted to get past her as quickly as possible, get home, uh, study, you know, last little preparations for the message, pillow my head, go to sleep, wake up early in the morning, right, I want to do it quick, and lo and behold, right, you're driving down 95, and I know you're going to identify with this, you get the slow person in the left lane. When you have a slow person in the left lane, you're allowed to pass on the right, right? Uh, but then what happens when you have a slow person in the middle lane and a slow person in the far right lane and all three of them are going the same speed? It's like they created a wall. You can't go anywhere. And then you'd be like some people where you consider just driving on the median just to get, get out of the way, get out of the way, right? We're tempted. We don't like to be patient, right? That, that, that phone comes out. I've got to buy it. I've got to pre-order it. Right? Because buying it isn't enough. You have to pre-order it. Uh, and so, uh, then, then, uh, you need to have it now. You need, you need it at this moment. But God says, hey, listen, you need to continually submit to the Spirit of God. Because if you just come here this morning and you say, I'm gonna submit to the Spirit of God, it's not all of a sudden you wake up tomorrow and, glory, hallelujah, I'm an angel, right? I'm a perfect saint. No. You need to submit to Him on a daily basis because patience has a work to do. And it's a perfecting work. It's a perfect work. The E may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In order to obey this command of Christ, you must submit to the Spirit of God and let Him change you over a prolonged period of time. Patience is the key to perfection. Patience is the key to perfection. As you mature in the Lord and grow closer and closer to a faith in God that is complete, you will find the behaviors of Matthew chapter 5 can be achieved. You'll begin to naturally love your enemies. You'll begin to bless someone who curses you. You'll learn to do good to someone who actively hates you. And you'll learn how to pray for someone who is out to hurt you. Matthew 5.48 Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is 
perfect. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning we think of this daunting task. This major command that doesn't seem achievable. Be perfect. I hope this morning you understand that word perfect means mature. It means complete. All of us have a work. All of us have something we can improve on. A way we can mature in Christ. A way we can be more complete in our walk with the Lord. Perhaps there's somebody this morning that, uh, that you need to submit to the Spirit of God. You've been living after the, the works of the flesh. And now it's time to turn back to Him. It's time to clean up the, the, the heart. And it's time to allow the Holy Spirit of God to move and to allow to show you uh, uh, things that need to be improved. Will you submit to Him?